All right. So um, today we're going to talk about, uh, we might get this time today, it might take a day and a half, uh, repeated measures, designs. We've done the sort of standard factorial analysis variance, and now the rest of the course up until the last maybe week of March, March, maybe even early April, we're just going to talk with twists on analysis and variance. So today we're talking about repeated measures designs. Okay, say you're interested in something like learning or forget, right? Uh, which is a pretty common thing you're interested in, in psychology. Um, you can't really study with independent groups. Because if you want to look at how behavior changes over time, by definition, you have to look at the same people as things change over time. So what you have to do is test the same people over and over again. So they're no longer independent groups. Everything we've had so far has been different groups in each cell, right? Even if the one-way analysis of variance was the same, it was different people in like different levels of the independent variable. We talked about factorial um, designs. We talked about different people in each, like A1, B1, A2, B2, whatever. It was different people. Here we're talking about testing the same people over and over again. So what you're looking at is change over time in that case. It's not the only time we use repeated measures design, but it's a pretty obvious candidate. So what you get is something that looks like this. Let's say this is a retention interval for men for uh, a list of words, five minutes, one hour, and 24 hours in retention intervals. And then you get three groups of people, the same group of people tested three times. Because you want to see how their forgetting happens. Understand what I'm saying? So, yeah, you could, could you use independent groups here? A group at five minutes, a group at one hour, a group at 24 hours? You could. But then you're not going to be able to plot a real forgetting curve for each person, for, you know? And you can actually do that with this kind of setup. So I think it makes a lot more sense. So the same thing, five minutes, one hour, and 24 hours. Now, there's potentially a problem. I've been harping on observations must be independent, how we can never violate the independence or independence of observations. Right? You just can't. Right? Uh, it's like you say, if you know this person's score, it doesn't help you know somebody else's score. Right? So if I know Adam's score, uh, I don't know Ash's score. There is independence, independent observations. However, if I'm testing Adam a bunch of times over and over again, by definition, if I know his score at five minutes, I'm going to get some idea of his score at one hour, because it's still Adam. Right? So the observations now aren't independent anymore. And you see why that's a potentially an issue? Does that make sense? Because I keep saying independent observations are very important. And now they aren't independent. In fact, they're, they're, they're completely dependent. Right? Because it's the same person tested more than once. Well, why don't we just throw that in one? Right? This is the beauty of that whole structural model thing. All we have to do is put this new source of variation in the model, and then we can deal with it. So that's, of course, what we're going to do. So our model looks like this now. x equals mu plus tau plus pi plus epsilon. Pi is like um, for people. I, I don't know if it actually is, but that's how I remember. So a score equals the grand mean plus a treatment effect. And so far, this should remind you a great deal of the standard analysis of variance, the one-way simple ANOVA, plus error. In fact, if we ignore this, right, we get mu equals tau plus epsilon. That's what we had for the simple one-way analysis of variance that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And this is the effect of subjects. We're actually going to consider subjects and I'm going to call them subjects. The APA can come and sue me. I'm going to call them subjects. We're going to consider the effect of subjects as another variable. Okay? So there's going to be different levels of subject. So if we just consider another variable, we've got the levels Adam, Lisa, Ashley, and whomever. Okay? 
Make sense? You see what we're doing here now? We're actually going to think of this like it's just another independent variable. And we're going to call that variable subject. Make sense? Okay. So your design now looks like this. See what I've done here now is I've got this variable called subjects over here. So five minutes, one hour, and 24 hours for a memory test of some sort. Subjects one, two, three, and four. What we've done here is we've actually decreased epsilon. Think about the standard model for a one-way analysis of variance, right? X equals u plus tau plus epsilon. And our new model is x equals mu plus tau plus pi plus epsilon. Well, look, these are both still here. These are both still here. Where does the pi come from? Well, from the oven, of course. <laughs> no, where does the pi come from? It can only come from one place. It has to come from area. It has to come from epsilon, doesn't it? There's nowhere else it could come from. Because we still have to have we still have So that means we've made epsilon smaller. And making epsilon smaller, good. Because that means the bottom part of our uh, fraction of our F test is going to be smaller if the bottom or the denominator. Is that right? Denominator small. No. Denominator, yeah, so it was right. The bottom, the denominator. The denomination, does that make sense? Of the fraction is smaller. If that happens, what happens? And the top part is going to stay the same size. What happens? It gets bigger. If that number gets bigger, it's easier to find significance. Because the bigger the f value, the more likely it is to exceed some critical value. So we've done something good here. We've made our error smaller. However, remember how I'm always saying, now we partition the sums of squares and degrees of freedom? There's a reason I've been doing this. And I say, don't worry too much about it. But I always show you how you can split them off. If we split off part of our error, we have to take some degrees of freedom. Okay? So the fact that we've turned epsilon into pi plus epsilon means epsilon is now going to have fewer degrees of freedom because some of those degrees of freedom left with pi. So now suddenly, while our Final f value is going to be bigger. Our degrees of freedom are smaller. And if you look at an f table, any time you get fewer degrees of freedom, the critical value increases. The value you have to exceed to find significance increases. Okay? So basically, we've decreased epsilon, but we paid for it. There is no free lunch in statistics. We paid for it in a loss of degrees of freedom which is almost always worth it. But. And I'll show you this in a second. Sort of follow what I'm saying, though, because if we split something off, if we split a source of variation off, some degrees of freedom go in they have to. Because to calculate it, we have to do another variance. So this says sums of squares. That means we've some degrees of freedom go in. Well, look at it this way. This is the model would look like this. Not the model, but this isn't really a complete analysis or a summary table. It's just source of radiation degrees of freedom. So let's say we were doing this as a regular one-way ANOVA, right? We can actually analyze it that way. We'd be missing out on something, but we can analyze it that way. Right? Because we had 12 subjects, well, sorry, 12 cells. We really only have four subjects. And we have three groups. That would be k minus 1 for rotation interval, two degrees of freedom. Uh, total of big N minus 1, that's 11. And big N minus k, 12 minus 3 is 9. That's what it would look like for doing the analysis of this rather than an experiment that we 
would never get published because it's showing the pension interval increases, the likelihood of people forgetting things, and Ebbinghaus found that in 1890. However, if we put subjects in as a, as a, as a factor, as a variable, we now have two degrees of freedom still for attention. Well, just like I said, the treatment effect stays the same. The total stays the same. Any design has a finite amount of degrees of freedom and variation. Subjects, we have four subjects, right? So S1, S2, S3, S4. Or S1, that would be three. So we have three degrees of freedom for subjects. And what do we have left over? Well, let's see, we've got to get to 11. Two and three is five. Five plus one is 11 again. Oh, six. So now our error term now has six degrees of so you see what's happened here? We've made this value smaller. If we had a, a mean square here, the number itself is going to be smaller. However, this is also smaller. And take a look at any, like I said, take a look at any statistical table. When the degrees of freedom drop, you do have a small, you will have a loss in power because it's harder to exceed that value. The nice thing is, is that loss in degrees of freedom made up for by the fact that we've made errors quite a bit smaller? Yeah, it almost always will. So technically, the downside of this kind of design is you pay for the increase in, sorry, decrease in, in, in error with the loss of degrees of freedom. That's going to make the final value bigger, giving us more power, but the, it's also going to make the critical value a bit bigger, affecting Making, uh, sort of making up for the fact, or, or pulling down, is maybe a better way to put it, uh, the increase in power. It's going to be worth it, though. So you see what's happened here? So any design has a finite amount of variance, or variation, and a finite number of degrees of freedom. We've partitioned degrees of freedom and variation just a little further. That's all we've done by throwing in subjects as a variable in a repeated measures design. Mean squared for retention interval will be the same for both analyses. And in fact, the assignment that's due on the 17th of March, which the link is now fixed for, I fixed it yesterday during the student town hall meeting about the block plan. Well, I was up there answering questions, but while I'm doing that, I go in and I'm So it's fixed, and there's actually a question like this. It's a numerical example. It's not really very hard. And it'll show you that the mean squared for the main effect for the treatment, in this case retention interval, is going to be exactly the same for both analyses. The reduction of mean squared, is the reduction of mean squared error worth the loss of degrees of freedom for error? I've said this now 60 or 70 times. Now it's also written down. And it's almost always yes. It's theoretically possible for it to be no, but practically it's almost always the case that this helps. The only time it wouldn't help would be if everyone was exactly the same. And that doesn't happen very often. Because then there'd be no variation accounted for by subjects, right? If everybody's the same, there'd be no variation accounted for by subjects. But frankly, that happens. does that happen? Pretty rarely. You have to have some, some very basic phenomenon. Exceedingly basic. <coughs> and I can't even imagine what that would be. This would be in something like physics. This wouldn't even be in like, you know, because even everybody's biochemistry is a little bit different. Some of metabolism. Fashion. You might think, oh, well, we need some blood pressure or cholesterol. No, yeah, probably still doesn't work. There's so many other factors that work. Okay? It certainly wouldn't be the case with a, a memory experiment like I'm talking about here. So let's think about this for a second. Any questions about this point? Before I want you to think so. You said there'd be no thinking. No, that's 2126. Memorize the following formulas 
and learn to do like a robot. Was anybody else in this 2026 the person that went people fly? I mean, I know you were. <laughs> people were saying, wait till 3256, wait till 3256, I'll tell you later. I was doing it constantly. What are degrees of freedom? You're on the scope of this course, Dave, wait till 381. So that's the favorite numbers western system. Nobody else? Weird. Okay. Is it realistic to think, in fact, that this is a sensible model? X equals mu plus tau plus pi plus epsilon. Is that reasonable? And what I'm asking you here is, don't you think that tau should interact with pi? You're saying, well, I'm sorry, I, you lost me. Well, no. Think about this. All that means is, that the treatment effect has different effects on different people. It affects some people more than others. So let's say we're doing this experiment and we thought Adam has got a really good memory. So the effective retention interval doesn't affect him much. And I'm old. So the effective retention interval on me <laughs> is quite hot. So after one hour, I'm screwed. So five minutes, I'm fine. I'm just sitting at it. You know, yeah, yeah. I can, I can, I can, I can kick it old school with the kids on the street. I know what that means. Get the one hour, and I'm this decrepit old man. I'm 45. Get off my lawn. This chair's gonna have to go through. <laughs> I just, I can just feel it. So it actually, that's an interaction. That's the effect of retention will change depending upon the person, right? So isn't it sensible, in fact, to say we should have a tau pi interaction? You ever had that tau pi? It's really good. It's got like a meringue. Okay, enough pie jokes. No. <laughs> okay. So does that make sense? We really should have an interaction. And the model is being unrealistic. And while the models are always a little bit unrealistic, that's a pretty big assumption to say there's no interaction. So our model now should, I mean, it really makes much more sense to assume that there is an interaction between tau and pi. So now our model's going to change a little bit. Okay? The funny thing is the analysis itself, how you do it, doesn't change at all, but the model changes. So now our model looks like this. X equals, X equals mu plus tau plus pi plus tau pi. Sounds like we're in some sort of fraternity. Never was a fan of the fraternity. Yeah. All pay for friends. Sorry, I just had a little. I just went away, to, went away to being at a YouTube concert. I'm back now. Are you missing your pocket? <laughs> no. Yes. Yes, I believe I am. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah, because it was there before. Yeah. Well, thank you. Tried to slip that one by, didn't that? Yeah. Yes, you did find that too. Sorry. X equals mu. We're done. Any score is the grand mean. We're finished. <laughs> We're just X. Any score. Thank you, you guys have been great. We've exhausted the degrees of freedom. S is just any other variable. So what we've done now is we've literally exhausted the degrees of freedom. If we think of this, we get in the design we had, this is why, in fact, remember before we called this error, never calling vacation error on my subjects. They're actually calculated exactly the same way. 
uh, which is kind of a strange thing. But theoretically, the reason I'm doing this, would, you'll see in a sec. Um, it just makes more sense to think of it this way. But we end up with retention interval has three levels. Remember, five minutes, one hour, 24 hours, it's about two degrees of freedom. Subjects has four levels. Subjects one, two, three, and four. So n minus one, it's got three degrees of freedom. The interaction of retention interval by subject is going to have three minus one times four minus one degrees of freedom. It's just interaction. That's going to have then six degrees of freedom. The design itself has 12, sorry, 11 degrees of freedom, 12 observations minus one. Two and three is five, and six is 11. There's no room for error. Whoa, there's no room for error. You're living on the edge. <laughs> so if we could put in a thing called error, I guess we would, but there isn't any, there's no degrees of freedom for it. You can't put something in the zero degrees of freedom. We've exhausted degrees of freedom. We've explained all the variance without saying we have an epsilon term, an error thing. I'm hearing too much in this lecture. Well, I don't know if it's a lecture, this is kind of, I don't know what's going on. All right. Is this, is this still making sense? Okay. You're a big group. Well, how does this work? Well, our error term is actually a treatment by subject interaction. Because it always says, oh yeah, you divide by mean squared error. Except we don't have mean squared error. And we're not just stopping. We don't just stand there and go, I don't know what to do. We actually have an error term, but it's it's a treatment by subject interaction. So subject, oh, remember that whole random model, mixed model, fixed factor? Yeah, there's a reason I did it. Because we're now going to treat subjects as a random factor. And we're going to treat this like it's a mixed model. Because in essence, that's what it is. We have a, a fixed factor, which is retention interval, and a random factor, which is subjects. Okay? We actually don't test the subject factor. The only thing that has an error term where we can you know, divide one by the other, isolate the effect, in this case of tau, is the treatment factor. We don't have an error term for the subject factor. There's no, there's no, no mean square with the expected value that will allow us to remove the effect of To just get tau. Okay. Is the expected value for we've got the effect for uh, treatment and subjects and mean square for treatment by subjects. And that's going to be the interaction. And that's going to be that plus that. And that's going to just be this. That's the expected values, these mean squares. So you can see what we're going to do. We're going to take mean square treatment, which is the expected value is tau plus tau pi. We're going to divide by mean squared treatment by subject, which is tau pi. Do you see anything here that just has pi on its own? No. So we have no expected value. No, we have no mean square with the requisite expected value to test the subject effect. So we can't. Right? We can't. There's no way that has that just the term pi in it. There isn't one. So we can't actually test it. Because this is a mixed model. We can't test the mean square for subjects. We have no way to test it. We have no way to find out if subjects are significantly different from each other. There's no error term with the correct expected mean square. 
Oh, what a big piece of data that would be. What a finding. People are different. Right? So even if we could test it, it wouldn't be interesting. A, we can't, and B, who keeps the crowd? Who I found out is people are different from each other. Give me a Nobel Prize. <laughs> oh, come on. So, first of all, it's statistically impossible, and secondly, it's practically stupid. Why would you want to test this? It's something we know. I mean, unless you're dealing with you know, psychophysics. I believe there's an old song about talking heads. No, that's psycho killer. I also mentioned stop making sense. Am I still making sense? Stop making sense. A lot of, a lot of talking heads references today that are apparently just for me. We can't, and we don't care. Right? So that's good. The reason why we're using the interaction of tau by pi as an error term is because we can. It's the only way to make it work. And in fact, typically what you're going to do as time goes on is you're going to find out what the error term is by looking at saying, okay, which one has the variable I'm interested in and subjects it. test or whatever where we, we, we measure two subjects and put them up as a pair and sort of just look at their differences. You know, d bar over s sub d divided by square root of n. Right? The old batch pairs t-test. Um, so it's this idea where we have subjects, we match them on some variable, we treat them as an individual, we treat their differences as an individual score. Subjects are usually match on the dependent variable. I mean, that's typically what you do. So let's say it's very often physiological things. So let's say it's heart rate or some such thing. So you say I can consider these two the same subject because their heart rates are exactly the same, and then we'll get one group of uh, cholesterol-producing drug, and get a group person a placebo, but we can consider them basically the same subject for the purposes of our analysis. So by extension, you can do this with analysis variance. So you can do this with which with the repeated measures ANOVA, and we're going to do it just basically the same way. Okay? What we need here is something called homogeneity of experimental units. In other words, we have to make sure that we've matched the subjects properly, that they're homogeneous. Okay? A student once was a gay guy, and he said, when I mentioned homogeneous, he said, well, that's me, I'm a homogeneous. <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> he probably is a genius, he's a great guy. Okay, how, do we, how are we going to achieve this, this homogeneity experimental units? There's a few ways we can measure in advance. Um, we could use like litter mates, like let's say we got rats or something. Rats are all born, they're born in litters, so you might end up with say three or four and fine. We can assume that they're pretty similar. They've got the same uh, utero environment and very similar genomes, right? Fair enough. Uh, we can use twins or triplets, where uh, that octomom, you can use her. 
find another set of octuplets for another group. We could use like Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez. <coughs> I feel bad for Emilio Estevez, don't you? He's the nice guy. He's not the guy that dates porn stars, shoots his girlfriend, things like that, goes crazy on TV. No one knows who he is anymore. He's the nice Sheen boy. He's the mighty duck guy. He's the mighty duck guy, yeah. He kept his birth name, he didn't change it to Sheen because, you know, his dad's Martin Sheen. I feel really bad for Billy Ellis. I don't know. I shouldn't, because I'm sure he's wealthy beyond anything I can ever dream of, just from those stupid Mighty Ducks movies. And being in uh, Breakfast Club. Yeah. Quintessential John Hughes film. Anyway. So what we're going to do here is we're going to do something called blocking. Now, this isn't like Kanan blocking and learning. It's much easier. There's no use of the slow Wagner model required. So this variable, the one we block on, so the one we, you know, I don't know, we call it, we call it a nuisance variable because it's something we could, we could certainly measure, but it's yet again in the way. And we're going to get blocks of subjects that have the same level of that nuisance variable. Okay? You know, if you thought about something like language learning, okay? If you thought about something like language learning, and let's say, oh, here we go. Let's, let's say you want to compare the system to use something as fresh as today's headlines. We're going to use either an immersion type system of language learning, we're going to use the standard system that we use now, which is the, uh, you know, uh, meet three times, twice a week, forget that, or we use like a block plan delivery system. There you go. Beautiful. And so, yeah, so three levels. And we're going to go, wait a second, language learning, sometimes some people know more, say, French than other people. Right? They just are, some people did like French immersion, and some people are francophones, and some people are anglophones that sat in French class the whole time going, <laughs> So, which I think by the looks in your face describes the vast majority of the room. So, we would want, we would know in fact that would affect how we do it in class. Right? Because if you're bilingual, it really doesn't matter what language learning type you have. Because you already speak French. <coughs> and for someone who's in immersion, it's conceivable that something like an immersive type experience where the class is all done in French and everything's all French and you, you know the prof just speaks French, that kind of thing. Okay? Um, you know, the way it actually it tends to be done, and students, my wife can teach French. She says, you know, the first day when people come into her first year French class and she's speaking French to them. And about two-thirds of them, I don't know what she's saying. And then, we might have people that have no French at all, and who knows what would happen with them in the different systems. But we would like to be able to say we want an equal number of those type of people, each of those types, in the different groups. We would think of language experience as being a nuisance variable. It's going to get in the way. The beautiful thing is, if we, make, if we get homogeneous blocks of units, units are subjects in this case, if we get homogeneous blocks of units, we can just put one block and say one, one person here, one person here, one person here. Next block, one person here, one person here, one person here. Right? We can do this. And then we can actually measure the nuisance the nuisance variable and just change it out. I almost had an impression of a friend of mine. But no, I, it would take me so long to explain to who he was. But I do a really good impression of him. He talks just like this. Hmm? It just sounds like somebody, you know. Sounds like the Henry's Sean Connery. Oh, Sean Connery's more like this. So we call this variable the one we block on a nuisance variable, asshole. There are books in the library, spiritually dangerous books. I need access to the library! Uh, name of the Rose. You see the name of the Rose? It's 
I love that movie. The first day Ken Herndon was working here, the University Library, you know Ken, the guy with the degree in putting books on shelves? He's my best friend, I can be fun. I walked, I stormed into his office. I said, I need access to the library. And he said, especially dangerous books in the eyes. We got it right away. One of the many reasons we hang out, because we're both geese. Where the hell was that? Right. This reduces epsilon, which gives us creature power. Goes to 110% on the reactor. That's that's over. See, we're doing the same thing as we did with. If you think of individuals being tested over and over, that's the ultimate homogeneity experimental unit. Right? I got May, level May, level May, level May of the variable subject. That's a pretty homogeneous unit of, of blood subject things. Well stated. Very well said, Dr. Grotbeck. You are nothing if not articulate. But we typically, maybe we can't do that in this case, but if we got people that have all the same, like, um, uh, don't know any French really, um, people that have been, say, taken some French, but all definitely the same, or people that have done French immersion all the way from the as well, and people that are literally bilingual, we can consider them pretty much the same, and that's a block. And that's now, again, going to just reduce epsilon. Epsilon. The structural model actually is pretty much the same as we had before. So the structural model actually looks like this. X equals U plus tau plus pi plus epsilon. Is it, this isn't the one with tau pi in it. Uh, that only really works for the special case where we have the same individuals, okay? Because we can clearly say that's going to work there. We can't really do that because the people actually are different, even though we have homogeneity for experimental units, okay? Um, so any score equals a grand mean plus a treatment effect plus the block effect plus residual, okay? Residual is just another word for error. It's leftovers. Who teaches the history course when you're watching the books? Okay. Nice. Do you watch a lot of movies in that class? What else do you see? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's not a lot of just fun movies. Yeah, we watched stuff back in the last class, actually. Okay. I was thinking if that whole block plan thing goes through in the, in the memory class, like on the second day, we're just going to watch Memento. Because it's perfect. It's a perfect treatment of, of, of introverted amnesia. It's beautiful. I can't really do it with the system we have now. It's going over two classes, it's growing up. But I would do that if we went that other way. All right. I'm not getting this fine. Trebek, it's unjust. It's you and the Slowly jeopardy with the that same the SNL thing. So here are the assumptions about this model. It's not surprising, these assumptions are not scary, they're the same ones you're used to. The sum of the tau is equal zero. In other words, the sum of the three effects equal zero. We've seen that since every, you know, for every announced variance model. Right? I don't want to Google this for. <laughs> 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 I am the whitest man in the world. <laughs> okay. Um, the block effects, okay, the effect of the block, are normal. They're independent of each other. They have a mean of zero and a variance of sigma squared sub pi. We just have to give it a name. All that means is, so within one block, which will say the non-francophone, non-learning anything in French class for 12 years block, that the effect of being in that block is normally distributed with a mean of zero. The effect of being in the other block, let's say the one that looked at, you know, uh, people that are, are perfectly bilingual, has a mean of zero 
is independent of the other block effect of desert and sort of strip. This isn't surprising. This is the kind of thing you've seen before. And because it's really, in a lot of respects, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a random variable. And random variables should, look, should be like that. And error is also going to be, of course, as usual, normally distributed independent with a mean of zero uh, and a variance of uh, sigma squared sub epsilon. So these aren't assumptions that are anything surprising. In fact, if you look at the assumptions in uh, plain old vanilla analysis of variance, the only thing we don't have is the pi one. These, and these two would sink. Okay. Error epsilon is independent of, of pi, because there's nothing there saying that they depend on each other. So they must be independent of pi. So epsilon is independent of pi. There is no term in the model that says epsilon times pi. Right? There is no term in the model that says tau times pi. There can't be any interactions here. So there's no interactions at all. So there's not also any tau by pi interactions. Remember, it means sense we have the same people, but we can't really say that now with different people, even though we have homogeneous external units. <coughs> Excuse me. So now we have this. This is just saying. Think about the model. That just falls out of the model. Those two. That there is no interaction there anywhere because the model is x equals mu plus tau plus pi plus epsilon. There is nothing in there saying tau times pi or pi times epsilon or tau times epsilon times pi or and you know any other combination of the above. So you can't be any interactions. <coughs> what happens if there is an interaction? I mean, it's just because we say there can't be one doesn't mean there isn't going to be one. Well, if there's only one place we can get an increase, and it's an epsilon. Right? Think about the model. Again, here's the model. It can't go to mu, because mu is not even a, it doesn't vary. We already have the treatment effect and the block effect. There's only one place it can go, and that's the error. So all this is going to do, if there is an interaction, is it's going to make the error term bigger. <coughs> so if error gets bigger, you lose power. So can you violate this assumption? Go nuts. But if you do, and you don't find an effect, it may be because you've lost power. It may not be because there actually isn't an effect. Right? So basically, my, my advice to you is if you're using one of these models, don't have any interactions. You know, hey, God, it hurts when I do this. Well, then don't do that. That's basically what I'm saying, right? Just don't do this and you're fine. Problem is, how do you know? You can't know in advance. And there's no, are we going to get a mean square for any interact? Well, there's no thing in the model for interactions. How can we even measure this? We have to actually look at the data themselves. Okay, so what we have here is the kind of thing I was talking about: different language learning uh, methods and different experience with a language, low, medium, and high. Okay. Learn something new. What if you're suspecting any sense if I learned something? Okay. So in this case, and I don't even know what we're, how we're measuring it. I don't know what the three methods are. I don't know which one is the straight lecture and which one's the and which one's the I don't really care either. But you can see how there's a perhaps a problem here. Let's go back. There's a potential problem here because is there any interaction there between block and treatment method, teaching method? There probably is. The lines are parallel. Right? It's for our data analysis. You look at a graph. 
Can we measure it? No, it's impossible. We cannot measure the interaction. So we know, in fact, that if we don't find an effect here, it may be because we violated the assumption of, of, of independence, of, of, of sort of no inter, uh, interactions. Now, how do we, in this case, we're probably okay. We don't have any disorderly interactions, no lines crossing. Um, we seem to have a pretty clear case that most of the time, method three is the best than method two than method one. We're probably pretty safe to say that method three is better than both methods two and one. You know, we're going to find something. The problem is if we don't find something, we can just look at this and go, and it could be because there's an interaction. So you have to be very careful with these kind of designs. You have to look at it and say, is it okay? Does this make sense? Uh, is there a big interaction there? If it's too big, there are ways to deal with this, which we'll talk about eventually. But usually you don't have the resources, right? Okay. You know, you could actually have more than one repeated measures variable. You could test the same people on two kinds of tests, implicit and explicit memory. You could test them at five minutes, one hour, and 24 hours. And it's all the same people. So G1, 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 G1. They're all group one. They're all the same people. You know, implicit memory, so that's, uh, let's say, work fragment completion. And the explicit test will be, I don't know, recall. Again, this is not that interesting an experiment. Don't think, ooh, there's my honors thesis. This is new time. Innumerable times. You get a real result, but no one can care. Okay, let's go put out two push bits. You know, it's funny, people listen to this thing for reasons that escape me. All over the world, people listen to our class. Right? 1.3 million people download, 1.3 million downloads of my podcast and lectures. Five, four half years. Which, you know, I don't understand why. <coughs> but the number of times these people must think, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> you know, like, I just, for those of you scoring at home, I just picked the poster, it bothered me, and I did a thing with it. That should explain it all. Okay. <laughs> Moving right along. Do you see the design here? Does this make sense? We took the same people, we tested them uh, six times. Okay, so five minutes, one hour, 24 hours. Those were attention intervals. And two kinds of memory tests, implicit explicit. All right. What's the model here? Wow, x equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus alpha beta plus pi. Plus alpha pi plus beta pi plus alpha beta pi. <laughs> so this sounds strangely like a Dr. Seuss poem. <laughs> I walk it in my pocket. And a toothbrush on my toothbrush. There comes the chairs everywhere. It's like people are trying to mess with me. <laughs> Once we're actually through a chair into a hall because it was pissing me off so much. I kept walking into I can't see. I walk into crap all the time. So I want to make it less likely. And you know me, I, I can't actually stand still. Every report card I ever got, David is quite fidgety. And then it's the tape over group work. You, you'd never guess that, would you? Um, <coughs> I've been described as having a big personality, which it seems to me is a kind of bad candy way of saying well, I'm overbearing asshole. Um, <laughs> not in my report cards. They just directly said it. David's an overbearing asshole. But um kidding! Right. So there's our model. It's got two independent variables we're interested in, and people. It's a lot of terms here, right? I mean. And there's a lot of potential error terms. Remember, we're always using something that has, unless we have something that says epsilon, which we don't here, we use something with 
pi in it, something with the subject factor in it. That's what we divide by, because the expected values to mean squares. How do we know what to test with what? In other words, what do we divide, say, sum of squares for, or sorry, eight squared for A by? What do we divide eight squared for B by? Well, right here, it's going to look like this. I'm assuming n equals 10, by the way. There's 10 subjects in the experiment. And that means there's 59 total degrees of freedom, so 60 subjects. What I've done here is I've listed, the first thing I've done when I've constructed this, and there's a method to look at the way I'm doing this, is I've listed subjects first. So the subjects factor, and it has n minus 1 degrees of freedom, so it has 9 degrees of freedom. We're not going to test the subject factor. We don't care. We know that subjects are different from each other. Now I'm going to list retention interval. It didn't matter which one I picked. I picked retention interval because I felt like it. It's going to have two degrees of freedom because there's three levels, right? Five minutes, one hour, 24 hours. And then what I did, how did I get this next subject by retention interval? I said retention interval, what's above it? By subjects. Got it. And that's going to have n minus 1 times levels of retention interval minus 1, 18 degrees of freedom. Now if I take a look here at the retention interval, what below this has retention interval and its subject as, in, in, in a, as a term? Oh, right below it there's this. That means I'm, when I eventually do my analysis variance, I'm going to test mean squared retention interval by dividing it by mean squared for subjects by retention interval, just like we did with the regular sort of one-way repeated measures. I got another term to deal with, though, another factor. That's memory test type. We're going to call it M. There's two kinds, an explicit test and an implicit test. That's got two degrees of freedom, or sorry, one degree of freedom, two minus one is one. And then what do I do? M by S, M by RI, M by S by RI. How do I know what to test memory with? Well, I just gave you a rule. Find the thing that has M in it and subjects just below it and tell you, oh, right here. How do I, what do I test for the interaction of memory test type by retention interval? I just go below it and find the one that has these two in it and retention interval, right there. So you all, the way you do this is you list the subjects first, and then you start listing terms, and you always cross them with everything above them. So again, I list subjects, then retention interval, then I went retention interval by subjects. Got it. Memory. Memory by subjects. Memory by subjects by retention, sorry, memory by retention interval. Memory by subjects by retention interval. Okay? And there's a nice way to check if you've done this right. If you've calculated degrees of freedom right, they should add up to the total number of degrees of freedom in the design, which in this case is 59, because there's 60 observations. 